Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Fantastic to have you back. Another episode, and this time I've got a special guest. I'm joined by Sri Elapalu, who is Senior Manager of the IoT Public Sector Practice at AWS, one of my colleagues based in Herndon, Virginia. Um, G'day, Sri. How are you doing? Hey, Simon. How are you? I'm very good. Good to have you here. Now, it's morning for me, afternoon for you, so I've got my coffee. I don't know what you've got on your (laughs) end, but uh, we'll make it work. (laughs) Yeah, we'll do. So, Sri, I've asked you to come on the podcast because – you work a lot with our customers in a really interesting area, and that's the Internet of Things. Um, but we're not going to start by talking about the Internet of Things. We're actually going to start by talking about another somewhat industry buzzword that it can be made practical if you work hard at it, which is something called data lakes. So maybe let's sort of jump right in and talk about why are data lakes important before you even start talking about IoT? Sure. Uh, yeah, like you said, I mean, it, it is certainly an industry buzzword, uh, depending on how sophisticated a customer is and what their long-term view of the data that they're collecting and how they want to extract value out of it. It takes a different shape. Uh, a really practical way of looking at data lake in the cloud uh, is me or I as a customer or a city or a, an agency or a department or an educational institution have access to a lot of data sources where I'm bringing data in from, and I'm bringing it into a central location of some kind. Uh, typically, it happens to be in the cloud because of the amount of data that I'm dealing with, the types of data sources that I'm dealing with, and, and the ability to scale up and scale down my analytics resources so typically it tends to be in the cloud. But the whole point of a data lake is I'm aggregating data from a variety of sources, some that are going to be sensor, and more and more in the future you'll see sensor-based data accumulating at a rapid pace, but not always sensors. There's traditional data systems, on-premise data systems, as well as uh, external feeds. Think about, for example, weather data or your graphical information data or mapping data, et cetera, that you're able to bring in and collectively analyze that data in order to extract insights out of that. So that's really what is uh, what it is then when customers refer to data lakes. Uh, like and, I said, depending data on- lakes are interesting, I guess, from, from that perspective. I mean, you mentioned a couple of those, those attributes. I mean, one of them is, is streaming data. And that's mm-hmm. obviously you know, d- data that just keeps on coming from those sensors and it, it stops for... Uh, for no person, <laughs> right. it happens all the time and you sort of can't control it. Um, and, and many of our systems or, or previous systems were built with with sort of big outage windows in mind or were based upon just you know, customer interaction, maybe a nine-to-five type bank situation, et cetera. Whereas in the, the modern world we're working in where everything is connected, everything is generating data, in many cases useful data, all the time. Plus, we're mixing it with open data sets, uh, large data corpuses from other um, locations, geospatial data, et cetera. It's, this, it's the style of data, but also the size and content of data that makes it far more difficult to tackle than in the past. That's correct. Yeah. As, as IoT deployments will continue over time, which, as you guys, uh, if you read any of the analyst reports, it is going to scale up in a rapid manner the volume of data and the variety of data that you're going to be looking at in the future is going to be substantial. Uh, so being able to architect and, and architect an environment that's going to be flexible uh, to accommodate changes and additions in the future is absolutely key. Mm. And that's really mm. where it's, it's really it's kind of, designs make a lot of sense. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like uh, you almost need that Swiss Army knife because 
because a lot of the work that gets done around data that's in data lakes is around ex- experimentation, customer experience, analytics, etc. You, you kind of don't know what you don't know. Um, so you're not walking to the problem domain saying, well, this will be a massive parallel processing database or you know, this, this fits really well a sort of Hadoop-style architecture or this is more some sort of um, streaming interactive analysis. The answer is it's everything right. <laughs> at the same time. Exactly. A lot of customers, when they start out with a design for a data lake, they start out with few objectives in mind, but as they're actually going forward, what you'll notice is many customers pivot and change their mind uh, because of the data that they're receiving and the value that it contains. So applying additional analytics capabilities on top of it, whether it's Hadoop or even machine learning is becoming more and more relevant Mm. these days where it's not just receive data and work off of it, but in addition to that, being able to predict when things will fail or when maintenance needs to occur. Right, so machine learning capability is adding a new dimension to the data lake concept itself. That's very true, and it needs all that available. One of the one of the, I guess the design patterns I'm seeing more and more frequently. I guess you could even term it a, a shortcut or a, a, a speedy route to success is putting all the information into S3, and and the reason why that's so successful is because you can use that as your kind of base of operations, and you can then start processing it using uh, EMR, for example, directly from the S3. Um, repository. Um, now with Redshift Spectrum, you can query that data in place uh, within the, the S3 construct. Um, obviously, Athena works from a serverless perspective on data in S3. So kind of everything comes back to this highly durable, low-cost storage of data. And then you apply a whole bunch of different tools to those data sets as and when you need it, which kind of gives you that, that choice we were talking about, that, that experimentation. What are some of the things you've been seeing out in the field in terms of how people have been constructing their data lakes and, and getting value from them pretty quickly? Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk maybe about a couple of examples. Uh, you may have already heard about a project called Open Grid, uh, which is out of Chicago, city of Chicago here in the U.S., uh, where city was dealing with approximately 600 different data sets from variety of sources as part of normal operations within the city. Some of those were internal data sources, others were external open data feeds that city had access to. What city wanted to do is bring in all of that data into a single location, analyze it and and simplify it uh, to a format where it can then make that data available to citizens on a map, uh, on a a GIS map, geospatial map, so that citizens can go in at any time, it's open, open-ended, open can go in at any time, look at the data. Uh, for example, if I'm in the city of Chicago, I'm interested in looking up as to when are my streets going to be cleaned. It's as simple as just going to the map, looking up my address and, and figuring out all of the services that city is going to be providing to me. In addition to that, city also opened up uh, some of the data sets as part of their open data initiative, once again, through OpenGrid, where I can now, if I'm a developer in the city, I can download that data in its raw format so I can actually build interesting applications off of it. So that's one example. Uh, Many other examples, uh, for example, there is a city of Denver building an enterprise data management platform on top of AWS using AWS services. In their case, it is part of their smart city initiative where city realizes that they're going to be, as part of a city smart city plan, they're going to be deploying many sensor-driven solutions in the future 
as well as they have systems that are already deployed on-premise. So they want to bring data from both systems, both variety of systems, uh, into AWS, analyze it, and make that the single source of truth. Similarly, if you go to City of Peterborough in the UK, their initiative as part of the Smart City program is to deploy smart energy meters in people's homes. So in addition to using data that's being collected and streamed and beamed from the smart meters about energy consumption, cities also using their internal systems, combining the data in cloud, so using AWS as a meeting point for all of the data that's coming in, analyzing that data, and decisions are being made off of the data uh, for future investments, for example, where and how cities should think about investing resources. So lots of interesting use cases. So some great use cases, and it's amazing how much better decision-making becomes when you have real data and how much better citizen engagement is when you can see what's happening in your in your town visually rather than having to pick up the phone and, and ring an operator to find out what's going on. It's, it's all about um, freeing that information and allowing people to have access to it. And it's interesting seeing a lot of the, the dynamic development going on around these data sets once they're made available. It's kind of like that's been one of the major blockers for a lot of these uh, municipalities being able to provide that better level of service is just having the data to to make the decisions based upon, um, which is really, really interesting. Now, um, Sri, you, you're probably one of the people that I, I turn to most often to find out what is really happening in the world of IoT because you see – I'd argue more of it than most uh, in the industry in general, just because of your role in all the countries and places you visit. At a high level, what are the major trends you're seeing in terms of the way IT is being deployed, used, and tying into, uh, I guess, a bigger organizational strategy? Yeah. So there are certainly, I mean, IoT, once again, tends to be the buzzword uh, that gets used quite a bit. But when you step back and look at the actual use cases where customers are moving forward, uh, there are a few domains that pop up at the top of the list. Uh, you can think about transportation being one of those domains. You can also look at oil and gas or anything that's industrial uh, in nature, where machines are involved, tends to be high up on the list as well. But I'll, I'll probably focus a little bit more on the public sector side, because that's where I have uh, much better visibility into. And there are four different areas in public sector uh, that I'm seeing as being at the top of the list for cities, for federal uh, agencies, etc. Thinking about deploying sensor-based technology. The first one is transportation, uh, where cities are thinking about leveraging sensor networks and sensor technology to ease transportation challenges whether it's providing better and timely information to citizens or deploying sensors on top of their transit systems, whether it's bus, rail, waterways, etc., and being able to collect that information to, to not only help citizens, but also for internal consumption. Uh, for example, maintenance schedule, so that you don't wait till a, a rail car or a bus breaks down. Instead, depending on the reporting that's coming off of the vehicle, uh, be able to schedule that out of service and maintain it instead of waiting for breakdowns to happen. So lots of use cases in terms of transportation, including traffic navigation systems, and the more common and easier one is smart parking, uh, but number of use cases in the transportation space. Second one is public safety. You'll hear a lot about whether it's uh, police 
security type solutions that are leveraging sensors. Once again, one thing to keep in mind is while these sensor systems are being rolled out, these are not necessarily substitute to existing solutions. These are in addition to existing solutions. So these actually bring in more capabilities to first responders and emergency workers so that they are better prepared when they're walking into a situation. So lots of use cases in the public safety domain, uh, which will also include things like, for example, flood detection. We have a, a really interesting use case out of uh, Indonesia called uh, a project called Pita Jakarta, which has since been renamed into Pita Benkana, uh, where sensor-based water measurement, uh, water level measurement sensor-based technology is being used in addition to social media feed that citizens in, in those cities where the solution is deployed can tweet to a particular handle if they see possible flooding situation. Uh, and combining all of that data, sensor data as well as the social media data in the cloud, analyzing it and then being able to predict where flooding situations will happen and alerting citizens and first responders. So emergency officials in the city so that they can take appropriate steps. Lots of use cases in the public uh, safety domain. Public health is another one. You'll hear situations or uh, solutions like air quality, water level measurements, water quality measurements, etc., including elderly care, where sensor technology can act as an additional uh, or additional way of addressing that challenge and providing better services to so that you're not dependent on on uh, manual care all the time. And then the last one would be city services. So think about any and all services that city governments, uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a city. It could also be, for example, if you're an educational institution, if you're operating a large university, a university campus could be a small size city. It has all of the similar challenges as a city, but probably at a different scale. Uh, so thinking about all of the other services, waste management, building energy efficiency, uh, those sustainability goals, etc., are also leveraging IoT-based solutions and architectures to help with uh, addressing those challenges. That's a that's a really useful full taxonomy. It's interesting. Is so we think through all of those. It's all about improving quality of life. It's all about the the day to day handling the challenges of scale as cities scale up and population increases, um, handling longevity of life. Uh, handling the ubiquity and, and desire to move to public transportation and making that a better option than just driving your own vehicle, for example. It's all about making things better, which is, I think, a, a great testament to the right use of technology for the right things, which is very exciting. Right, absolutely. Uh, and one of the other things that often comes up when we when we speak about IoT, because often, I think because of the name, uh, we, we naturally gravitate to the, the technical side. You know, what are the sensors? What can they do? What are the different brands? How do they connect? All that sort of stuff. Um, but, but something that comes up probably more often in, in this, the second order of thinking is, are these devices simply reporting from the edge as a, a, in a monitoring capacity, or are they actually making some sort of intelligent decisions based upon a variety of inputs at the edge or where they're, where they're located? Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to give us some perspective on, on what you're seeing is sort of the, the current state of the art and where things are going in that space? Yeah, so th- there's clearly uh, a lot more solutions that are either already deployed or in the process of being deployed, where it's primarily acting as a one-way communication, meaning you're using sensors and devices to collect data and collect and aggregate that in a central location so you can analyze it offline. Uh, 
But as customers are getting comfortable, we're also seeing bi-directional communication, meaning you're not just receiving information into the cloud from these sensors, but you're analyzing the data real time and applying some logic, some business logic on top of the data. And based on the results and insights that you're gathering, you're actually sending instructions back out to the endpoints or end edge devices to take actions in the physical world. Some examples, uh, if you have heard of uh, the concept of a smart building, where building energy efficiency equipment, whether it's your AC units, whether it's the heating units, whether it's the environmental control units such as lighting, etc., humidity control, etc., are controlled in a fully or almost autonomous way where not only is the data being collected using sensors and sent to a central location, typically a cloud-based system for analysis, but then you're adjusting how the building equipment operates based on the data that is coming in return as instructions, whether you want to turn the AC unit up or down, or you want to turn the lights in the intensity of the lights up or down. So all of those bi-directional communication mechanisms are also starting to happen more frequently now. As customers will get comfortable with letting machines automatically control and take actions on their behalf uh, based on the rules that they have defined, you'll see more and more uh, of that bi-directional take actions in the real world using data that I'm analyzing in the cloud becoming very prevalent moving forward. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a trend that we're seeing because it kind of fits into a variety of use cases that don't fit the sort of one category or the other. And I guess some um, if we look at one of one of the other AWS services, AWS Greengrass, um, which which again works even more to, to bridge that connected versus non-connected uh, compute in the cloud versus compute in the edge conversation, um, that's certainly something we should probably deep dive in in, in another episode because the whole topic on itself. But it, it's interesting as with most things in technology, we see it being sort of a stark uh, delineation and then starting to blend together. And um, this this bi-directional communication is becoming more and more powerful. That's for sure. Right, and um, right. one of the other things we see is, is obviously you know, people can come along and they can come to AWS and use um, you know, the IT service. Uh, they can use all of our um, different services that help them build a data lake, et cetera. But also a lot of customers will just go to an AWS partner um, and engage with them as well and and take advantage of some things they've built on, on top of them. And, and probably one uh, partner that jumps to mind is C3 IoT. Mm-hmm. Um who've created a really interesting platform. Did you want to talk just briefly about sort of some of the the work they've done with some of our customers as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So C3IoT, which is a company that has its roots in C3 Energy, uh, which was working on machine learning and big data analytics, purpose-built for energy and utility companies in the past. Uh, What they have done is they've taken that platform and leveraged AWS services to scale up the platform so that it is now a full-blown analytics and machine learning platform on top of AWS that customers are able to spin up and leverage. Uh, What the platform allows you to do is it it allows you to bring in data from a variety of sources. As I was saying earlier, sensor, non-sensor, existing data sources, etc. Bring that data into the C3's platform Uh, And C3 also has built-in analytics and machine learning capability within the platform so that I don't have to go stitch uh, ML capability outside of uh, the platform. It has everything built in that I can customize. 
And out on the other side, the platform ejects or emits data in a number of ways that are appropriate based on the use case that I'm looking at. So for example, if I'm in the energy space, I'm bringing in data from a variety of sources, I'm analyzing it using predefined machine learning algorithms, and then I may be interested in looking at consumption of energy or looking at waste and distribution um, efficiencies, etc. So a platform is highly scalable, highly uh, flexible at the same time, where I can go in and define my own outputs that I want, as well as my inputs of data that I'm bringing into the platform. So lots of use cases. One, one example I'll touch on is US State Department leveraging C3 IoT platform on top of AWS, where State Department is going to be bringing in data from 22,000 buildings across the world that State Department has presence in, bringing in energy consumption data into the cloud, analyzing that data, and State Department has two different objectives, two different main objectives. One is to predict failures of HVAC and other equipment uh, that's used in those buildings. And then number two, overall, try to reduce energy consumption so that State Department is able to meet long-term sustainability goals that it has set for itself. So lots it's of really exciting stuff, yeah. Really exciting. And this is the thing, is that you know, one of the nice things about this whole domain is that you can you can see things happening. <laughs> like, like it really is uh, manifesting itself in, in the real world. And one of the things that when... Well, certainly, when I speak to customers about this um, this area, is to experiment and to start small. So, you know, when we're talking to a, a municipality, um, we're not saying, "Well, you have to instrument every single street day one." You know, often what we'll say is, "Hey, let's let's just pick a few um, and start with those and experiment, learn, see what works, see what gets you the information you want, the data you want, and and then grow from there." Um, is there any other sort of advice or best practice you've seen from people who are stepping into this domain for the first time that may help them on their journey that you'd like to share? Now, I think you touched on the, the key uh, attribute that we should be looking at and encouraging customers to try, which is experiment. Uh, not any two cities are exactly the same. Every city has, even if I'm uh, thinking about deploying a solution that another city has deployed based on the fact that my citizens are different, my environment is different, that solution will have to be tweaked in order for it to work optimally in my city, right? So when you think about it that way, every deployment, every new solution that's being designed or solution that's being implemented will have to be tweaked. So experimentation becomes absolutely key. Uh, and if, especially if you're building a net new solution that doesn't exist yet, you probably will want to go through a few iterations before you know that you have arrived at the optimal solution. Once again, exactly. cloud will allow you to do that in a rapid pace without committing a lot of resources ahead uh, and instead making changes along the way so that you are getting at your results in the shortest time and the least cost and least risk. Absolutely. And it's, a, it's that ability to change direction, if you like, uh, uh, in response to ground truth that you may discover when you actually take your great idea to the field and say, ah, oh, it didn't, didn't, the reality is not quite what I thought it was, but that's okay because I can make a change. And um, there's a very low cost in doing that, which is great for experimentation. Hey, um, Sri, it's been fantastic to have you on the show. We definitely have to have you back to talk more about the very broad domain of, of IoT and other smart things. So thanks a lot for joining us on the podcast today. Absolutely. It was fun. 
Fantastic. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We do love to get your feedback at awspodcast at amazon.com. And until next time, keep on building.